Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. This week, we're talking about a subject many of our readers ask about on the Singletracks forums. If you have a topic you'd like us to discuss, ask your question or leave a comment on our voicemail at 800 815 6820, and we might just include your message in an upcoming show. This episode of the Single Tracks podcast is sponsored by tripoutside.com. Oh man, I hope this shop rents some decent mountain bikes. This will be the fifth shop I've called. Bob's Bikes, what's up? Oh, hi. I'm planning a trip out to Colorado from Georgia next month, and I was wondering if you rent enduro bikes, like maybe the Transition Sentinel or the new Santa Cruz Mega Tower? Wait, you're coming from Georgia? You should probably stick to the XC trails here. We got some Schwinn hardtails that are probably more your speed. Um, no thanks. I'm sure I'll be fine with an enduro bike, really. So do you have any available for rent? Uh, I think we might have a couple. Not sure what sizes, though. My manager's at lunch right now, so I have to call you back. Renting outdoor equipment shouldn't be this hard. TripOutside.com makes finding, comparing, and booking rental gear quick and easy. Your equipment will be ready and waiting at the outfitter so you can get to your adventure right away. From mountain bikes and stand-up paddleboards to skis, snowboards, surfboards, and camping gear, you'll find whatever you need to get outdoors at the best prices. Now available in over 60 top outdoor destinations and growing daily. Next time, start with TripOutside.com to find the best places to explore outdoors. Hey everybody, welcome to the Single Tracks Podcast. My name is Jeff, and today Matt and Jero and I are going to be talking about the process of buying a mountain bike or how to buy a mountain bike if you're in the market or maybe you're thinking about getting your first one. So everybody goes through a different process when it comes to selecting and buying a new mountain bike. And while it can be fun and exciting, it's also a bit stressful. So we're going to talk about our personal approaches to the buying process and hopefully offer some things to think about the next time you're in the market for a mountain bike. So Matt, how do you get started when you're ready to get a new mountain bike? What's kind of the first thing you think about or look at? Well, there's definitely price parameters. I feel like for most people, like you're going to go into it thinking, okay, this is how much I want to spend. You haven't won the lottery yet. Exactly. Yeah. And so it's all, uh, I'd like to pull out six or seven grand out of my retirement, but I don't (laughs) think, uh, that's reasonable for a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, I think like price is going to be the first thing that most people, myself included bring when they're thinking about a new bike. Yeah. Makes sense. What about you, Jerome? Is, is price your main concern or do you think of something else or like, how do you start? I mean, is it, are you thinking about a particular brand or trying to solve a problem or how do you approach it? Similar to Matt, I think about what the bike's going to be used for. What I'm, why am I looking for a new bike? Like, am I either replacing, you know, something that's getting a little worn, or or do I want to try something new? Like, do I want a downhill bike and I don't have one? Something like that. Yeah. And then I think price comes into play for me in a little bit of a different way because I usually like to buy a frame and then build it up with parts I already have. So I definitely save a fair bit of money that way. Although 
in the end, I probably end up paying more because <laughs> I don't get the deal on all the components. Right. Well, I mean, do you just have parts laying around or are you like cannibalizing some old bike and, and just throwing all the stuff onto a new one? Yeah, most of the time I pull the parts off of an older bike and to build up the new one. And then, you know, whatever is like should be put in the parts bin, gets swapped out. Maybe I get a few new parts, but often the build on new frames for me is stuff that's already been written. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, it's, I, I guess it's different every time that I approach it. And we're going to talk about sort of how we decide when it is time to buy a new mountain bike. But yeah, price is definitely top of mind for me going to go into it with like a a range that I'm thinking about and I guess for a lot of us too you know we have like a max price we're like okay I'm gonna I only want to spend three thousand but then um, of course you always end up going over that to get something a little bit nicer than maybe what you could have got for your budget but yeah and and I have to admit too that like brand definitely comes into consideration a lot of us probably like to think that it doesn't matter and say that it doesn't matter, but it does, right? We're only human. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, how a, how a brand conducts themselves and how they market and who they market to and who they support, what riders they support, that stuff all seems important to me. Yeah. Interesting. Looking at bikes for the kind of riding that you're actually doing and not the type of riding you imagine yourself doing. Mm -hmm. For me, this is like you know, a few years ago when I bought my Gorilla Gravity Mega Trail, and it's like a 150, 170 mil enduro bike. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of peak enduro market rage. And uh, as time went on, I realized I didn't really need that much travel for most, like for probably 80% of the riding I was doing. Mm -hmm. And you can get away with like a lot less travel, at least personally for me on the trails that I'm riding. Yeah, I mean, I think be realistic with your expectations on what you're actually going to use the bike for. Yeah, for sure. How much, Jarreau, would you say that you're influenced by like people that you ride with? Has that ever like sparked the idea that you want to get a new bike because you see your friends riding it or you know they've had a good experience with a particular bike? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Or I get a chance to ride it. Like that's often the way that I, you know, I've in the past had a chance to ride a new bike that I hadn't had experience with is checking out a friend's bike. So yeah, that's huge. And then yeah, also just seeing what, like what people are racing on when I show up to a race, that's also, you know, if there's somebody winning all the time on a particular frame, <laughs> it's going to catch my attention for sure. Yeah. Interesting. So the next question I want to ask is how do, how do we decide when it's time to buy a new bike? I mean, again, there are a lot of different factors that go into it, but Matt, what's sort of your threshold when you're like, okay, time for a new bike? Well, this kind of spins off my last statement about the bike that ended up being a little too much for most of the riding I was doing. Mm -hmm. And so the last new bike I bought was in last December and kind of like Jero was talking about, like now that we're sort of into, in the industry, like I find myself having a lot of spare parts around to where as a general consumer before I did not have that. Yeah. So this time around, I was lucky enough to have a lot of spare parts around and sell, sell my old bike as a whole. Mm -hmm. So most people don't, I think a lot of people probably don't have that luxury. But for me, the inspiration was like, okay, I'm not really, I don't need a bike with 150 or 160 mil rear travel. Like I want to go reduce the amount of travel I'm riding on daily mm -hmm. and find a bike that's going to be more suitable for 
most of the riding that I'm doing. So I ended up reducing the amount of travel I had on my main bike when I bought it. Yeah. And then, I don't know, my old bike was just getting kind of beat up and I just, yeah, I don't know. I, I wanted something different. I wanted to try something new and I wanted to kind of tune it up, shine it up and get it to somebody before it was super beat up. Yeah. That's interesting. I feel like a lot of people probably, you know, it sounds like a big part of it for you was just kind of realizing you didn't have the right bike. I mean, it was a bike that didn't really suit the riding that you were doing at the time. And, and that made it a good time to buy a new bike. I think a lot of people hold on to bikes and don't want to admit that they were wrong in buying it. Right. And, and they just end up not riding it or yeah, riding it, but not enjoying themselves as much as they could. So that's a, that's a really good point. <laughs> Right. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. What about you, Jero? It seems like you get new bikes pretty often. What's, what's your trigger for when it's time to buy a new one? So I typically like to try and sell bikes to friends, especially if I feel like I got a little bit of a deal on the frame or mm -hmm. kind of regardless, but I like to sell the bike before it's totally clapped out. And yeah, you know, I don't want to feel like I'm selling somebody a bike that's mostly garbage. So I try and swap them out every two years. I definitely have some custom bikes in the basement that I really love that I probably won't ever sell. But the like race bikes and especially full suspension bikes, I try to swap out every couple of years. Also, just to try try the new thing, like try something different. Interesting. Yeah, I'm. I guess I'm the opposite. I ride a bike until it's destroyed, until there's nothing left of it. And I, I mean, I guess I I could say that for other stuff too. I mean, computers or phones or whatever it is too. I I take pride in getting every last drop of use out of whatever it is that I have. But yeah, like you said, that's not great. I mean, I can't resell the bikes. Like by the time I'm done with them, they're worth nothing. And, I'm, <laughs> you know, I got to scratch together all the money for a new bike, you know, at once versus, you know, at least taking some of the sticker shock out of it by selling the old one. So for some people, buying a new bike is actually an emotional decision. I've heard of plenty of people who just like walk into a shop and weren't even planning to buy a new bike, but they see like their favorite color or they're like, oh, no way. They updated the new, you know, specialized Enduro. Gotta have it. Have you guys ever done that, or do you know people that are that way about bikes? I have done that with a motorcycle before. Ooh, cool! And uh, that did not work out so well for me. <laughs> but, but no, I like. I don't think I've ever bought an, um, probably not a full suspension bike, like on an emotional whim. Maybe cheaper bikes like BMX or dirt jumpers or a road bike or something. Yeah, you got that dirt jumper. Bikes that I'm not really spending like many thousands of dollars on. Yeah. Well, that is an emotional purchase. That counts. Yeah. And for you, Jero, it sounds like if you saw a bike, you weren't planning on buying it, but you saw a good deal on it, you'd probably pick it up, right? Yeah. Maybe if it was a good enough deal, I think. <laughs> but yeah, for the most part, I guess I'm a little more systematic about it. I just wait, use the bike that I have until it's kind of ready to sell it or there's something. There's like, I think more often... I feel like, oh, I need more travel or I want to try something new that's happening. That's kind of more the, the trigger rather than like there's a new shiny thing that I want. Interesting. 
So a lot of buyers have a choice these days, you know, buying a brand new bike versus a used bike. And I imagine most people are buying new bikes. I don't actually have no idea what the split is, but I'm curious to know, Jero, if you've had experience buying a used bike, sounds like you sell them, uh, but have you bought a used bike and how did that go for you? I've definitely purchased used commuter bikes and like winter bikes, you know, just the bike that get the hardtail that gets kind of thrashed all year, but I haven't purchased an, a used bike otherwise. I've been, I guess I've been really fortunate in that way. I've always, you know, scraped together just enough cash to put something, put a new bike together. So yeah, right on Matt. I know you've bought some bikes off Craigslist and stuff. How did that go for you? For me, it's historically worked out pretty well. And it's worked out better as time goes on and I have a better idea of what I'm looking at. Oh, yeah. When I first got into mountain biking, like my very first full suspension bike I bought off of Craigslist. And it was a Rocky Mountain Slayer. And I had no idea what I was looking at. But I was like, man, this bike looks badass. And like, yeah. I think I'm probably going to buy it. And it was an extra small. Extra small. Wow. Extra small. Like I rode BMX <laughs> bikes when I was like a teenager. So like sizing was not a thing to me. Right. It worked out well. Like it definitely had its issues. Um, I saved a lot of money You know, I spent like a thousand bucks and got a bike that had originally sold for probably 3000 or 4,000. Yeah. But at the same time, like the fork crapped out because I think the guy was running it without suspension oil for a while, ended up having to replace the drivetrain and kind of do these things as like time went on that I probably would not have have had to do with a new bike. Yeah. Interesting. I guess my first real mountain bike, you know, not department store bike that my parents bought me, uh, was a, a used bike that I bought from a bike shop. And I don't know that a lot of bike shops do this anymore, but back then our local bike shop anyway, had bikes on consignment. So like if some of their customers had a bike they were trying to get rid of, they would, you know, leave it at the shop there. And they were sort of like in this back room, but I mean, I guess online has taken the place of all of that. Now there was no Craigslist or, you know, pink bike or somewhere to go on and find a used bike for sale. But yeah, I, I ended up having pretty good luck with that. I got many years worth of use out of the bike and I think I paid like 200 bucks for a, it was a hard tail because back in those days, pretty much everything was, but yeah, that bike, that bike stayed around for a long time. And then it's interesting too, uh, there's this online retailer or online website called Pros Closet, the Pros Closet. I don't know if you guys have seen that one before. Yeah, they're up in Boulder. Yeah, so they sell bikes, used bikes online, uh, so that can be a good source. And they recently announced that they're working with competitive cyclists, so you can actually like trade in your bike and get a rebate on a brand new bike online. So. Seems like a pretty cool, That's cool, yeah, easy way to do that. And depending on if you're in the market to buy a used bike or you're trying to get rid of one, definitely seems like a good option. Yeah, it's like going into a, a car dealership and you get that pre-owned certified tag on it. <laughs> like, yeah, that, that would be really nice if something like that existed and just made the process easier. And seems like we're getting there. And if we could, it also seems like people would turn over their bikes more people would be more like Jero and every couple years you know pass on the gently used bike that they have and buy a brand new one 
Well, I think that brings up another, you know, there's also demo bikes at almost every shop yes. or big, larger mountain bike shop where you can go in and get a bike that's been ridden for one season that has probably had the suspension run through and all the bearings replaced, the bushings replaced. I mean, it's it might have some scratches, but it's effectively a, a nearly new bike and you can get a pretty good deal on it. Yeah. That can be another good way to go. I mean, it's it's a used bike, but hardly, and it's got all the all the latest cool stuff on it that you might want to check out yeah some of them have been on like four rides too yeah for sure <laughs> that's the one you want though see that's that's the thing i've heard mixed opinions some people are like oh never get one of those because people just abuse the demo bikes you know particularly if you're talking about like a ski resort or somewhere like that but then yeah but there's plenty of cases too where it's like an extra large which would fit me uh that isn't like checked out a lot during the summer and yeah you end up getting a good one so you never never know yeah or maybe some journalist had it for two or three months of the summer and <laughs> <laughs> they wrote it but uh it wasn't written by a hundred different people yeah 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 good point but don't buy the don't buy the ones that i've had recently i've i've uh, ridden them pretty hard <laughs> yeah me too i wouldn't buy that <laughs> All right, so we we kind of have been touching on some of these, but I wanted to talk about some sort of common buying strategies that we hear from people that maybe are a little bit flawed. Um, I wanted to call these like myths or something like that, but but when you hear these, you'll probably recognize it, and you've heard somebody say this before, and so I thought it would be interesting to discuss. So one of the things we hear on the forums when people are asking for advice about, should I buy this bike or that bike or whatever their buying decision is, they say, should I buy something cheap and upgrade later? Or should I go ahead and buy, you know, the, the best bike that I can afford? So Jerome, what's your thought on that? Where do you come down on buying something cheap and upgrading over time or buying high end to start? Well, I mean, I think, you know, it's going to work out differently for everyone, but I would say we, when my friends ask a similar question, I just always say, buy the best bike you can afford, you know, and they'll say like, oh, well, I'm not good enough for this or that. Like, I'm not some, you know, pro rider or whatever. I'm like, it doesn't matter. Like, <laughs> get the sweetest bike you can get. Like, if if you're, if you make a ton of money, get an amazing bike, you know, just get the best bike you can and it'll be more fun and you'll probably want to ride it more. So, yeah. Yeah. And it'll just be fewer things you have to upgrade and pay for in the future. Right. Maybe the resale will be better. Like, I don't know, in general, yeah, the best tool for the job makes sense to me. Yeah, that's interesting that people would be, I don't know, concerned that they their performance isn't good enough for a super high-end bike. But yeah, I think you're right that with those bikes, they're just going to be more fun to ride and you're going to spend less time messing around with them, trying to fix stuff or adjust stuff or whatever. Yeah, they're just going to work better. It's a good point. Uh, for sure. I feel like there's kind of a set a sentiment where, you know, you want to earn up to this fancy bike, like start off with something, you know, relatively cheap and then feel like you've earned riding that really expensive bike. But yeah, again, it's like, you know, if, if you can't afford it, you're cheating yourself out of a better experience, really. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I remember when I was starting out, I was a young high schooler, probably into college too. And, you know, I couldn't afford super fancy bike. But at that time, the bike, in my mind anyway, that was like super awesome and fancy was the Klein Mantra, that weird looking bike that, yeah, just looked like it yeah, dropped in from the future. But 
I, yeah, I remember having those same thoughts, you know, I'd see like these middle-aged guys riding around on them on the trail and just thinking like, oh man, like he's not as fast as me or he's not as good as me. I can't believe he's got that bike. I should have that bike. Exactly. But yeah, that's, that's my problem. That's not, that's not his problem. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. He can just enjoy that nice bike. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No need to feel guilty. No need to worry about what young Jeff is thinking about you. <laughs> <laughs> right. Totally, and maybe I'm saying that because now I'm the middle-aged guy, but that's that's another story. So <laughs> I think, as you guys said, it just depends on where you're at and and what you can afford. I think that's probably the best answer is buy what you can afford because for some people, it's not really a choice. I mean, they have to buy something cheap because they can't afford it. They would buy the better one if they could. And buying an inexpensive bike, I mean, it's not a bad strategy. If you've got, you know, a certain amount of money right now, but you know you're going to, over time, you're going to have more money down the future. It's kind of like buying a bike on credit in some ways, right? You you pay the upfront and then you upgrade the fork in a year when you got a little more money or put, you know, more powerful brakes on it, whatever it is that you want to do. And then flip side too, when you buy a whole bike, Jero, you kind of mentioned this, that you get a discount on the components. I mean, it's going to be much more expensive to buy each component at retail than it is to buy a complete bike with the parts that you want on it. Um, but again, this is that's sort of like the interest that you pay by buying the cheap bike now and, and upgrading later. Yeah, and I think buying, um, you know, like we were saying, like buying a more inexpensive bike and upgrading as time goes on allows for a really fun upgrade process too, to where your build is going to look a lot different than Johnny's off the shelf bike. Like it's not, you don't have to just do SRAM rock shocks, everything or Fox Shimano, everything. It's like you can play with these different brands that are not going to be on a traditional OEM spec bike and get something, build something that you thought of that would be really unique also. Yeah. Right. You get the bike that you want because it's, it is surprising to me that these days when you buy a new bike, you're really stuck with like three, maybe four kind of build choices. And there's not a lot of customization that goes on, you know, I mean, for some people, you know, they're okay with like entry level suspension, but they want a really powerful brake set or they don't need the fancy dropper post. They just need one that's going to go up and down. So yeah, it does allow you to customize the bike to do exactly what you want it to do. For sure. And with those inexpensive bikes, I would say you can upgrade everything as long as you like the frame. Mm -hmm. The one caveat I would call out is like if you can find an inexpensive bike that has a dropper post so you can have fun in the process of while you're upgrading it. <laughs> right. It's yeah. It's probably going to be the good way to go because there are bikes out there that like the frame is super sweet. And the components are fine, like they're going to do just fine for somebody who, you know, that's the bike they can afford. But having a dropper post is kind of like the one catch. I wouldn't, I wouldn't buy a bike without a dropper post, no matter what genre it was for. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. I feel like too, you know, maybe it sounds like we're saying just spend as much money as you can on a bike and whatever your budget is, like try to go a little higher because you're going to be even happier. But, you know, I also want to make it clear that if you can't afford an expensive bike, like that's okay too. You don't need to feel bad about that. And, you know, a, an expensive bike definitely isn't going to make you a better rider. You know, it might be a little more comfortable or you might, I don't know, 
might be a little less frustrated, but it's really not going to make you better. So don't try to use that as an excuse to like spend a lot of money. So you're going to be faster or whatever. And then also, you know, I'd reassure people like bike tech changes pretty regularly. So, you know, even if you bought today's top of the line bike, like in a few years, it's not going to be, it's not going to be that great. There's going to be even better bikes and you're going to be maybe wishing you hadn't spent all that money on a bike that's not going to be timeless, honestly. And I get a little sad when I see one of these like top of the line bikes from 20 years ago. And I think about how much somebody paid for it and even how hard like the designers and the builders and everybody worked on it. But now, you know, it's being sold for a hundred bucks or something. It's, it's kind of, if you think about it in those terms, like this, this thing is awesome right now, but what's it going to look like in 20 years that kind of puts it in perspective. Yeah, yeah, totally. All right. So another kind of trend that I've picked up on anyway, from the questions we see on the website is, you know, what is the perfect bike? People seem to be kind of stuck in this indecision limbo where they're like, uh, you know, I can't pull the trigger yet because I haven't found the perfect bike. Is there such a thing as a perfect bike, Jero? Ooh, that's tough. Bum, bum, bum. You're talking about the quiver killer or yeah, just which the perfect one? bike for right now? <laughs> which one is the perfect bike? Yeah. I mean, I feel like on a personal note, I read so much mountain bike news that I always know what bike I would buy or replace my current bike with if I had to. Like it's it's always already narrowed down to like one or two. How often does that change though? I mean, if you read a, if you read different reviews every week, are you changing your mind or are you just confirming like nope this is still the best one (laughs) it's hard to say it's a little it's a it's a mix of variables but it's also mixed in with the bikes that i get to test Mm -hmm. i mean right now yeah i would say that if i had to replace my bike right now i would replace it with an orbe arayon that thing is absolutely amazing i love it Mm. but i read about bikes all the time that are really similar and i'm like oh well it'd be fun to test that which makes this question more (laughs) difficult (laughs) yeah like oh the geometry looks the same i don't know maybe that bike's better. Yeah. But if a friend asked you and they were like, Oh man, I really want a bike. I want to get like the best one that I can. Would you, would you tell them like the Rayon, like you got to get the Rayon or would you say like, Hey man, that's, that's a decision you got to make for yourself. This happens fairly regularly. (laughs) And I usually go through a list of variables like, okay, where do you live? Where do you ride? Where do you want to ride? How much money do you you actually want to spend? You know, like, what kind of riding do you want to try out in the future? What are you looking toward versus what are you doing now? Mm-hmm. And then give a, a sort of list of bikes. So it's not usually, for friends, it's usually not based on what I'm into so yeah. much. Because, I mean, particularly friends back in Oregon, like, a bike like the Rayon would be way too much bike for most of the riding there. Yeah. What do you say to friends, Matt, when they ask you for, like, a recommendation? Or, or do you think there is a perfect bike? out there for people is there is it like is it like soulmates you believe in soulmates like there's one there's one out there that's just right for you and you know you gotta just you gotta take all the time it's, it takes to find it no no i don't believe in soulmates and i don't think like for the same reasoning that i don't think that you know there's that soul bike for you either like you know i mean the three of us get the opportunity to ride a lot of different bikes and so you can ride a 140 mil trail bike from one brand and ride one from a completely different brand 
And I think a lot of times, like at least my feeling is that, okay, they're both distinctly different Mm -hmm. and it's easy to tell that they're different. They have different personalities, but in most cases I wouldn't say that one is better than the other. Yeah. Like everybody has great options right now. Yeah, that's a good point. Almost everyone makes a good bike and you're going to get used to whichever bike you're riding. So it's, that makes it tough to choose for sure. Right. Yeah. I mean, this comes up too when regular readers ask or, you know, might point out like, man, you guys never like say that a bike is bad. You know, there's never like a negative review where it's just like, oh, this bike just, you know, it's terrible. It's a bad fit. Doesn't, doesn't work for me at all. Cause yeah, I, I don't think, I don't think any of us will encounter that where there's really just, just bikes that are good bikes and bikes that are bad bikes. I think they're all at a very similar level and even across price points, you know, I mean, if you're obviously like a $9,000 bike is going to ride a lot better than a $2,000 one, but if you give me a a bunch of $5,000 bikes, they're all going to be, they're going to be pretty good in different ways perhaps, but you know, none of them are going to stand out where you're just like, Oh, this one is, is much better than the rest. And I think maybe that's where people get hung up is even if they have tried a number of different bikes, it's hard to tell. It's hard to say like this one's better than that one. And I've seen, I know Dominic did a video for us a while back about his buying process uh, when he bought a new bike recently. And man, he shared this spreadsheet that he had made of like all the bikes he was considering. He must've had like, I don't know, two dozen or more bikes on there. And and I don't even know how many columns. I think he was to the double letter columns out to the right. <laughs> it was impressive. Yeah. And man, it's so hard and, and it is frustrating. And it's like, once you get all that information, it really is hard to, to make a decision. So I don't know what the answer is if, if it is like go with your gut or, or what, but it's definitely, it's a real problem. And eventually you got to make a decision. Yeah. I think we've all known people who have sat on it just for like months You're like, Oh, should I get this one? Or should I get that one? <laughs> like, but this color is so much better. And I think that's it at the end too. Like you just have to pick the bike. That's when you look at it, it makes you want to ride it. That's for me, that's usually what flips the coin. Like, all right, this one's got a better paint job or whatever. They both feel amazing. They ride really well. They have a good build. They do all the things I want them to do. They won't do my taxes, but other than that, they're pretty great. <laughs> I'm going to take it. <laughs> yeah, sort of the Marie Kondo approach, right? She's Does it spark joy? Right, totally. Which one gets me off the couch? That's the bike I want to ride. Yeah, good point. Yeah, and at the same time, again, I mean, there's two sides to every one of these coins, and that's why it is a debate or a myth or whatever you want to call it. You know, another impatience can be rewarded too. I mean, you don't want to jump right in and buy the first bike that you see or that you try uh, because stuff's always changing. New bikes come out every year, every month, really. I mean, there isn't like a a defined product cycle anymore. So, so yeah, even a bike you buy today in a month, there's going to be something that's a little bit newer. So patience can be rewarded if you kind of wait and you find the right bike at the right price that that can work for you as well. So I talked a little at the beginning about brand loyalty. How does that play into your decision? A lot of people would argue you shouldn't even consider that. A lot of people on the internet like to argue that, you know, that, <laughs> that, that the brand doesn't matter. I just buy it because it's the best bike. It's got the best specs or it's the best value for the money. Matt, how do you look at brands when you're shopping for a new bike? 
It's definitely huge. And like we were saying in the beginning, like it's <clears throat> branding plays a huge role. I mean, if you look at Richie Reard has helped Yeti sell a lot of bikes, like there's no doubt, like people want to buy a bike that he's riding and, you know, or you take Santa Cruz and it's like, oh man, like Loris Berger and Greg Minar, like they're beasts. Like maybe I can ride like them. You know, the brand loyalty piece is a little bit different. And I feel like a lot of that has to come down to customer service. And, you know, if a buying experience or if you dealt directly with the brand at some point while you own the bike and you got a really good experience out of it, then that can definitely play in the long term of returning customers. Yeah. What about you, Jero? How do you look at brands? Well, it's not, I wouldn't say it's brand loyalty. The only time I've purchased two bikes from the same brand was when they were handmade by a friend. But I do think about where where brands put their money. I think it's, I feel like racing, whether you are racing or not, is the thing that pushes innovation in our sport the most. Mm-hmm. And so between racing and supporting youth athletes and trying, you know, brands that are trying to diversify the sport or um, putting money into trails, those are the brands that I'm more interested in supporting. So, for example, my current bike, the company supports five uh, young athletes here in Italy. And that was really the kicker to make me want to buy the bike. Like the bike was sweet. It's really great. And I would definitely buy it again. The reason I bought it over the other bikes at the same price or less is because they were putting a lot of money into these kids' racing careers. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, and I mean, people make those kind of decisions all the time, trying to buy locally or supporting a particular company or, you know, in some cases it, it is that you align with sort of the ethos of the brand, whether that be racing or partying or whatever the brand is kind of putting out there. I know I bought a bike purely based on the color in the past. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's definitely dumber reasons to buy a bike. And, and like you said, Matt, the, the brand kind of exists to reassure you that you're going to be taken care of after the purchase. I mean, if, if bikes didn't have brands or we were all buying them direct from China, who would stand up for you? Who would service the bike or who would take care of you? If there's a warranty issue, um, the brand is really kind of there so the, you have somebody to trust. So I, I think the brand is definitely important. Yeah, for sure. So since we're all in the industry and uh, obviously read a lot and tend to know a number of things about bikes, and even today, consumers are kind of in the same boat. I mean, all the information is available online about different bikes and brands. So once you have these like really specific requirements and ideas about what your next bike is going to be. A lot of people start thinking about going custom, full custom or boutique with their bike. Have Jero, have you ever purchased a custom bike or considered it? For sure. Yeah, I have three of them in my basement. Yeah, my cross country bike, cyclocross bike, and my enduro bike are all custom. And I just really, I mean, it's certainly a privilege to be able to afford that situation, but I love the process of being able to talk about every tube and where all the brazons go and like i want to be able to use a bag here put a bottle here i don't really need this kind of chain guide all that kind of stuff you get to choose exactly the bike you want and definitely at the end there's always a little bit of like i wish i would have done this differently but uh (laughs) but it's a really cool process and in my experience i've ended up with some amazing bikes that i those bikes i probably won't ever sell because it's 
they're yeah. fantastic and they're special and getting to know the person that built the bike with their hands is pretty cool yeah very cool it's like a piece of you yeah right yeah it's very custom to you and and whatever you value may not be what another buyer might value down the road matt have you ever purchased a custom bike or considered it no i've definitely considered it but more so like an a la carte bike where you're choosing the color the graphics color and then componentry Mm -hmm. but never just like all out custom it's definitely something i want to do one day and it's something that like most boutique builders like you're gonna pay a lot more for you know and that's for good reason but like they'll take the time to measure you and you know adjust the tube measurements to fit your body so mm-hmm. you know uh, maybe choosing your own paint color also and hey if you live locally maybe you can go watch them build it up one day yeah it, it, yeah it's definitely something like i don't know i would want to do it with like a hardtail or gravel bike or something rigid probably not like a full suspension but yeah it's on the board for someday <laughs> right yeah i mean you guys mentioned that it's usually more expensive. And I think part of my hesitation too is the time involved. I mean, there is a lot more, you're not just buying something off the shelf. You really have to put a lot of thought into it, especially if you want something that you're going to enjoy and it's going to last for a while. So yes, yeah, not like a, not to be undertaken lightly. That's for sure. So Jero, do you have a preferred method for buying a bike in person or online? Have you, have you experienced both ways? And if so, do you have a preference? Uh, yeah, I've experienced both for sure. I had a YT Jeffsy that I bought online, obviously. And, um, and it was a fine bike. Uh, the customer service when things went wrong was not ideal. I definitely, I mean, you know, I think that's just kind of the thing with online buying an online bike. It's not a, it's not the fault of a YT. It's just, how the industry works yeah and having worked at bike shops i for sure prefer to go to a bike shop and check out bikes that said i've only had i've only purchased one bike that i'd ridden before and i think part of that's like having custom bikes wow so usually i just bring in whatever bike i'm riding and say okay here's the measurements this is what i'd like to be different and then go from there mm-hmm. or my current enduro bike i went and rode one of the bikes of the guy that built it uh tomazo enchilati and I really loved his bike. I just wanted slightly shorter chainstays and a couple other small changes. And he made those changes for my bike and that was it. So I, I sort of had ridden the bike before. So it was a bit of a mix. Yeah. Interesting. Matt, what do you think? you prefer to buy in person or online? I've done both now. Uh, so my last bike I ordered online, had never ridden it. And I think brands have done a really good job at like reinforcing trust in buying a bike online. Like you can feel confident about going to, you know, ytindustries.com or canyon.com and clicking order and knowing that you're going to get something uh, that is really quality. But I mean, yeah, it's like, it, it always helps to try something before you buy it. Like the last bike I bought was a Banshee and I love it. But had I ridden it before, like I probably would have sized up one um, just because it's it feels a little bit short on me. Yeah, it seems like companies have really made the logistics of buying online a lot easier now. I mean, you have free shipping in some cases. Uh, They'll have 30 day returns so you can try it out at home and send it back if it doesn't fit or for whatever reason. But yeah, I, I still 
really prefer to try out a bike. And there are a lot of opportunities to do that these days. I mean, we get probably more opportunities than most folks to get out and demo bikes at different events. But a lot of these brands too, you know, they work with your local bike shop and you can go to Outer Bike and all these places to try out a bike and get comfortable with it before buying online. So in the old days, you really, you would have to go into the shop, but now there are options for, for buying online. And even the bikes that I have purchased in person, a lot of times, you know, I would get like a parking lot ride in and that doesn't, (laughs) doesn't tell you a lot, you know, no way you've kind of already made up your mind before you go into the shop that you want to get it. We did a survey recently asking people how they buy their bikes, you know, whether it's online or at their local bike shop. And uh, a little over half of people said they bought their current bike at a bike shop. Um, But then that seems to be changing. That that ratio flips to less than half are planning to buy their next bike online. Um, Still close to 50-50, but people are getting more comfortable with the idea, it seems. And... I was interested to see that 35% of people plan to buy their next bike totally online. So that's, you know, a bike from a brand like Canyon or YT where, you know, there's no interaction with a local bike shop or anything. They're just going on the website and clicking. And then there's this small segment too, you know, a lot of the bigger brands with more established retailers like Trek and Specialized and Giant have on their website where you can order the bike and then it gets shipped to your bike shop and you go pick it up there. But only 4% of single tracks readers anyway said that they plan to take advantage of that. So, so yeah, it it seems like people are definitely divided. And then there's also, you know, you can buy bikes at big box retailers, you know, like REI or Dick's or heaven forbid Walmart. But, you know, based on our survey results, not many people do this, but what's really interesting, 3% of people said they bought their current bike at a big box retailer, but then only 1% of them plan to do that for their next bike. And so it's a big drop off. You know, if there are 30 people who bought a bike at a big box retailer, only 10 of them are going to do that next time, probably because they didn't have a good experience. Yeah. I mean, I think it is really interesting to sort of watch that shift and see how many people are actually planning to buy their next bike online. Like there's, yeah, that's a huge chunk of the market, like 35%. And then what, maybe over the next few years, it's going to be 40, 45, 50. Like that's, that's a a really big change in, in the market. Yeah. And one of the things that I think that can help people get comfortable with this idea is really understanding geometry charts. And I know there was some debate about this. One of the other mountain bike publications published an article, maybe it was an opinion piece, I don't know, but about how geometry charts are worthless and, you know, not helpful to the average consumer. But, you know, it really is, if you're buying a bike online, that's your best bet at really understanding the bike's fit and how it's going to work for you. And Jerome, you kind of alluded to this with, you know, how you approach a custom build, but it's important to look at whatever bike you're riding now and understand its geometry. And then, sort of compare that to the bike that you want to buy. So again, fit, but also performance, you know, I mean, if your bike, if you'd like it to be a little bit better at descending, then you're going to be wanting to look at bikes with a slacker head tube angle. And geometry charts are really the most objective way you can 
compare bikes, you know, honestly. And uh, again, it's, it's a hassle and not everybody gets it. And it takes a lot of time to sort of wrap your head around it. But in my opinion, there's really not a better way to do it. What do you, what's your, your thought on that, Jerome? Do you think geometry charts are useful or are they just going to confuse people? I think they're fantastic. I mean, they're kind of our tool to work through a lot of really impressive marketing. You know, every everybody's got a, maybe not everyone, but most brands have a marketing team that's as good as their bikes and they're going to convince you that they've got the best bike for you and no matter what, who you are and how you ride. But looking at, yeah, like you said, looking at your, look, the geometry, geometry of the bike you're riding, Maybe try a friend's bike that has a little different geometry and figure out what you like. You know, if your friend's bike's a little shorter reach and that was more fun, maybe you want something like that. Just looking at those variables and trying to see, I mean, it is complex and it all of it does affect the suspension and there are a lot of other variables, but I feel like, I mean, most consumers are, we're smart people. Like we can, we can figure this stuff out with some geometry tables and some reading. It's, it's doable. Yeah, would that have saved you, Matt, if you had studied the geometry tables a little more closely for your your banshee? Is that the banshee that that you might have gone up a bigger size? Yeah, probably. It's funny because the the reach is like the same as the last medium that I had, and so before I owned a Gorilla Gravity, I had four hundred thirty millimeters of reach. That was a size small, but that brand notoriously like sizes up. So like. I mean, you're usually buying a size under because it fits like like a small fit, like a medium. So that had 430 millimeters of reach, and so did the Banshee. And so I was basing a lot of it off of that. But now you take like any new medium is like it's kind of weird if it's under 440 millimeters of reach. So there's a huge like uh, reach has just changed um, a lot over the past even two years. So while the, I'd say the Banshee still fits me, it fits kind of like a bike from a few years ago. And these longer bikes, just having that longer reach, it feels a lot better. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And that's one of the things we heard at Crankworks from one of the brands we met with that a lot of people are buying, they're buying a size bigger than they actually should be on, or at least according to, you know, the engineers <laughs> charts and everything. So if, you, if you're a large People are buying extra large because they want that additional reach. And if you're watching the trends with bike geometry, um, every year the bikes get a little bit longer. And so in some ways, maybe that's a hedge. You know, if you buy this bike, today's bike that's got a longer reach, that's a size up for you, maybe in a couple of years, that'll be the, <laughs> the right size, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's another place to definitely take a look at the geometry table. Because if you do size up, you want to take a good look at how much seat post you can fit in that bike and how long the the frame seat post is. You're going to run into the problem of your legs are too short for the bike. <laughs> right. There are definitely limits to that strategy. Yeah, and I think it, it helps with fit. But the personality of the bikes can be completely different, right, with two similar geometries. Like, I tested the... Salsa Spearfish and the Fazari Signal Peak, like back to back. And the geometry was really, really similar on both bikes, except for the fact that the Spearfish had 20 millimeters less travel in the rear. Aside from that, really, really similar geometry, maybe a few millimeters different here and there, but completely different 
feeling, different handling bikes, like much different personalities. And so, I mean, you can have two bikes with the same geometry and put a different suspension platform in there or change certain things like fork offset or just the other component, uh, componentry, um, and the bikes can feel way different. Yeah. One other thing about sizing up real quick, there are a few brands who are like throwing longer chain stays on their larger bikes. So that's another thing to consider. If you size up to a larger bike, it might handle a fair bit differently from the one that you tried. If you go, go test a medium and the large or extra large have another five or 10 millimeters on the rear end, it's going to change things a fair bit. And the stacks for sure going to be different. The head tube will be different. So those are all things to consider. Yep. It's a lot to keep track of. And, and the main thing to know too, is that changing one, like you're saying, changing one of these variables is going to affect the others. And not only that, changing, say the head tube angle, making it slacker, it is going to make it descend better, but it's not going to climb as well. And so, so that everything that you do is going to cut both ways. And the whole, the designer's sort of intent is to find that perfect mix, you know, that happy medium where the bike does the things that we want it to do really well. And then it doesn't make the other things perform poorly. Um, so yeah, it's hard. And that's why I leave all of that to the, the bike builders and have no business in <laughs> trying to build a custom bike. So yeah, hopefully this discussion has been helpful. I know it doesn't answer specific questions that people have. And we know that there are a lot of those. Um, we see them on the single tracks forums all the time and feel free to post your question. You know, if you've got a couple of bikes that you're torn between or you're trying to get started, um, you know, there are plenty of our readers who are on there that are able to help and maybe have experience with similar bikes. So be sure to check on there and, and ask your question. And then also, you know, if you have a more general question that you'd like for us to discuss on the podcast, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, again, you can leave us a voicemail at 800-815-6820 and we'll definitely listen to it. And if it's something that we're able to include in a show, uh, we'd love to include that. And also, if you're interested in following the latest trends in bike geometry and new bike releases, be sure to sign up for our email newsletter. We send out an email once a week, and you can do that by clicking on the link in the show notes. It's quick and easy. That's all we've got this week. We'll talk to you again next week. Peace. Peace.